This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another World of UX Podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks, everybody, for taking the time to join us on today. And where I mentioned in a recent episode, we were going to be doing something special, and we kick off this special series of podcasts. Today, we're celebrating the three-year anniversary of the World of UX, and we're doing it by engaging in what I am titling the New UXers Symposium. We're going to have a series of podcasts where we are having just new UXers, people who are new to the field, people who are willing to talk about their journey, willing to share their thoughts. They've got me to themselves to ask questions, uh, and we will candidly address any and everything that folks bring up here today. I'm excited for this. I think everybody who's attending is excited for this. Uh, so let's go ahead and we will... More sound effects. Yes, I love sound effects. Uh, Today, and I'm going to introduce folks uh, in alphabetical order this time, um, going by by first name. Uh, I'm going to introduce everybody. And as I introduce you, as I share the names, uh, and correct me if I get a name wrong. I hope I get it right. But we're going to go for it. Again, everything is raw. I'm not afraid to make mistakes. Nobody should be afraid to make mistakes. If I make a mistake, we make a mistake, we ride with it, we correct it, we go. Uh, But I'm going to go in alphabetical order by first name. When I introduce you, feel free to give a brief introduction of yourself and feel free to share uh, how long you have been in UX and we'll bounce around the table this way. Aditya, you are first. Hey, thanks so much for having us on the podcast, Darren. It's an honor. really appreciate you organizing this today and, you know, congrats on three years. Super exciting. A little bit about me. I am fairly new to UX as like a, a practitioner, but uh, I think throughout my five years out of college, I've had the opportunity to like do a little bit of UX. And it was always the stuff that I enjoyed most in the roles that I've had. Uh, my background is in e-commerce. I studied anthropology and art in college. And like, these have always been kind of interesting things that I, I guess were tied together by UX as like an invisible thread throughout my career. So I kind of made the jump uh, last year and took a boot camp and here we are actively looking for work, and I'm excited to kind of break into UX. And uh, my goal is to become a design leader like yourself one day. Awesome. Fantastic. Anthropology. I love hearing about where somebody came from, and I love when anthropologists get involved. That's a great field to, to lead people into UX. Next up is Elena. Yes. Hi, I'm Elena. And uh, um, I'm from Italy, which I think probably I'm the only one from Europe here. <laughs> and I have a, b- a background in computer engineering, uh, but I have also studied uh, for master human-computer interaction and design. Mm. Uh, however, I don't have a lot of professional experience. Uh, I have less than, let's say, one year Um and I am currently in the job search and I'm trying to, you know, find a job in this field, UX, because after trying it out, I really 
found out that I really love love it. So that's why we're here. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you, Elena, for joining us on today. Next up is Kelly. Hi, guys. Thank you, Darren, for having us and having me. Um, so my name is Kelly. I am a UX designer, a web development uh, front-end developer and a technical instructor. I have background in a range of art. So starting with fashion, studio art, graphic design, ending in illustration um, and uh, web design and uh, web development. I did two boot camps prior to uh, or at the time of me getting into UX, one in full stack web development and another in UX design. And I did my first job as a UX designer for two years in education technology. I've transitioned to my current role as a UX designer at IBM, and I work in their data and AI organization. Yes, yes, yes. That's right. You were with uh, uh, Tony, right? Yes. Working with Tony. Yes, yes. Yes. Fantastic, fantastic. Glad to be here. I am a former uh, blue person, by the way. I don't know if you do that. Once an IBM or always an IBM. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's for me. <laughs> that was just <laughs> Tammy shaking her head. Tammy, you are up. <laughs> Hi, thanks for having me. And congratulations on three years of podcasting. Thank That's you. amazing. I am uh, a UX designer. Well, I was a UX designer. So I've been in the field for uh, maybe about two or three years now, full time. Well, not full time, more so part time to full time. So I work full time currently as a UX strategist. Uh, I also nice. uh, work uh, part time as a uh, UX design freelancer, and I do consulting for small, like web based, uh, digital first e commerce businesses. Uh, from there, like I kind of got into the field uh, from web design. So I started off as a web designer, uh, web and graphic design. And I kind of applied the practice of UX to my work while working as a web designer. Yes. Over time, that's how I kind of learned it. So I'm more self-taught in that sense. Uh, over time, I would say in the last few years, I started to transition more fully into UX-focused roles and work. Uh, and from there, I decided in the last year, I wanted to focus more so on UX research uh, and strategy. So that's where I'm more focused now. Uh, my future goals would be to continue on that path. Uh, I decided that I wanted to apply more rigor to the aspect of research, yes. uh, being more self-taught. Um, uh, there, the information out there, as you've mentioned in the past, like the information out there, it can be questionable. So that it, it made more sense for me to go back to school to get a master's degree. Mm. That's what I'm currently doing, as well as working, you know, full time and doing the other options, the other things I mentioned before as well. So that's me and that, Joe. <laughs> fantastic fantastic i love where everybody's coming from the 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 experiences that you've had thus far uh and something that everybody said i think there's a common thread that we want to start out from before we get into your q a uh there there are a couple topics i'm going to throw out there based on what you folks have have mentioned thus far one of them is education let's talk about ux education tammy mentioned um going back and, and getting education. Um, Aditya talked about his his uh, training as an anthropologist. Elena talked about her background. Everybody had something to say about education. Let's talk about what you have found, what your educational path has been in UX. And Tammy also mentioned self, I have to mention self-taught. I got to call that out because that's fantastic stuff. It takes courage to do that. And 
By the way, everybody who was in UX in the early years is all self-taught. <laughs> everybody <laughs> self-taught, which I think is sort of ironic. Um, but let's, what, what are your thoughts about UX education as far as what your path was and how you view things today? And, and I'll chime in here and there. Let's start off with uh, uh, Elena. Yes. Well, um, you know, to be honest, uh, I can only speak to my education, which yeah. uh, was in mostly in Italy and in Sweden. Um, and what I found is that what I studied in my in my master's, in my bachelor, probably in my bachelor was a bit uh, less relevant because it was computer engineering, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, there was not enough, not a lot of progress in human computer interaction, UX being already inserted into batch, uh, computer engineering curriculum for the bachelor, even though I'm starting to see some progress on that. However, I did feel that it did teach me a lot of things, yes. but sometimes it would focus on more advanced user interactions. So I see it like a great path, an excellent path that could also lead me, for example, to a PhD in studying more advanced human-computer interaction. There was not a lot of focus in my master on, for example, designing um, the process of design as I experienced it then, uh, working. So um, I still feel like there is slightly somewhat of a barrier from going from straight out of university to work. And I also feel a bit of a difficulty in the fact that many times companies, from what I have seen, most of them want to to show them the value that you will bring. So they want to see that you know how it works, right, in in the field. Uh, And yet university doesn't teach that. So there is a weird transition period in which you have to um, either you, you start working, you find a job, you find a company that believes in your potential and you learn there. That's what I think is the best uh, path. Stop me if I'm rambling, okay? Too no, much. no, but no. But what I always felt, <laughs> <laughs> what I always felt is you, you really, uh, at the university, you learn how to think, how to, the foundations maybe, and how to think about things. Yes. And then at your job, you learn more about like what you have to do day to day. I love that you said that. Two things that stood out there to me is that some people, they they undervalue transitional experience. And, and when I say that, you maybe think about my early career. I got my I had an associate's degree when I got my first full-time UX gig, but I was in the process of getting a bachelor's in information technology, not in UX, in IT. And which leads me to the second point. People don't understand when you go to an institution of higher learning specifically. An institution of higher learning, not boot camps, not not MOOCs, uh, and everybody. Uh, uh, MOOC is massive online open courses. That's um, Udemy, uh, Coursera, things like that. That's what's known as a MOOC. Um, the structure in an accredited institution fosters more of a critical thinking mindset, and so that's why a lot of people, so Aditya studied anthropology, but it's the rigor associated with higher learning that turns into the thing that becomes more valuable. You could have been zoology could have been your major. It would have helped you from a UX perspective just because of the rigors you're subjected to. 
from a higher learning perspective. So great stuff. Kelly. Yeah, so I'm going to touch on this topic from four different points. I wrote it down while Elena was talking because I knew I would forget. But I can touch on the formal, the informal, being self-taught, and then going back and teaching. So I have a very wide background in art. I have my bachelor's in communication design and a minor in web design. And I actually started UX in my undergraduate program as part of one of my courses, which was mandatory to graduate. And I always shout out um, CUNY's uh, New York City College of Technology, Mm -hmm. because that was in, I would say, maybe early or late 2015 at a time where a lot of undergraduate programs didn't have UX as a course. And they did. So I was that art department always, I think I always shout them out for that. Um, That was my formal education in UX and having that being a part of my curriculum in my undergraduate program. Informal would be that I went to a UX design uh, boot camp and more so it was not a well-known boot camp. Um, it was one funded by Department of Labor, again, through CUNY as well, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was the first cohort. Uh, so not <laughs> only was I learning something that I didn't very, know very well, but I was also in a program that if you've ever been the first of anything, everything is not, uh, I wouldn't say organized, but they're organizing while you go along. So that was a very interesting experience. And that kind of shaped my my trajectory into UX going forward. There were a lot of I wouldn't say holes, but there are a lot of things that were missing in that program that um, the self-taught part comes in. So I also consider myself to be self-taught from the UX program because there were a lot of things that I had to go back in and fill in with having gaps in my program and and trying to figure out how to learn these things on the fly as I'm also in the midst of looking for a UX job. And this was maybe uh, mid to late 2018 at the time. Um, So I spent most of that year teaching myself and then um, going back into the fourth point, which was teaching as well, going back and teaching others and kind of guiding the rest of the cohorts behind me and showing them like, this is what you have to going through the fire and then guiding people through the smoke after (laughs) I did it essentially. And that led me to actually my first formal job, which was, I was the front end development instructor for that UX design program for the designers. So teaching designers, not how to code, but how to recognize code and talk to developers. And so that had led me to my education background is, is very, uh, has a lot of ups and downs, but I think that a lot of it has helped me uh, get to this point of working in UX design. Fantastic. And I'm also like Tammy getting my master's as well too. Good, good. May I ask where? So I'm actually getting it at WGU, Western Governors University and learning experience design and educational technology. Excellent. Uh, a fun fact, uh, and I don't know, the numbers are probably changing on a re- regular basis, but fun fact is, and I just asked Siri. So if 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 this is wrong, I got this data from Siri. Siri's wrong. I'm just telling you what I found out. Somewhere between five and 6,000 universities in the United States, there are less than 170 UX programs across yeah. the entire <laughs> educational landscape. And when you consider yeah. the fact that education was always the the vehicle to produce qualified professionals, that sort of gives you <laughs> an idea of why we are where we are. I know there's programs over in Europe, 
there's programs around the world, but in the States, it's really, the numbers are low. I think it's reflective of the numbers everywhere on from a volume and a percentage perspective. It's just an interesting factoid to me. I'm trying to help. I'm teaching at five universities now. I just had a sixth reach out to me internationally. Somebody just reached out and wanted me to come and teach there. So we're in talks now, but I like helping with that. And I have a tremendous passion for it. Let's see, Aditya. Absolutely. So, I mean, again, I can only speak to my own experiences uh, just based on what I've gone through. Yep. I went to college initially thinking I was going to be an architect and I really liked the idea of design and being visual about it. I wanted to make pretty things. I was very much like my first thought as like someone more art oriented. And I like the idea of designing cars and you had to like learn some engineering to do that. Like, so I studied that in high school thinking that I was going to either design cars or buildings. I wanted something creative. I got to college and the coursework for architecture was difficult. Let's use the word difficult. <laughs> and uh, I was faced with a lot of realities in terms of like, you know, who am I? What can I really accomplish? And the nice thing about the college I went to was it was a very liberal arts school. So I had time to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. So I was pivoting around a little bit, trying psychology classes, anthropology came to mind, like different art as well. And I fell in love with anthropology just because it was different from psych in the sense that it wasn't too rigid. It was a lot of research-oriented frameworks, but in a way where you're getting down to like engaging with people and not just like, here's the chemicals in someone's brain and how they work. It was a lot more hands-on. So that's kind of what caught my like uh, interest with like, user-centered design from like the beginning. I think that's kind of where it started for me. Yeah. And obviously I was doing a lot of art. So like I was accumulating enough credits to keep the minor and I was doing a lot of other things in college too. Like I, I got honors in music somehow just because I joined wow. the choir and played guitar and things like that. So <laughs> I, I had a lot of like fun in college just like exploring things and really just maximizing the liberal arts experience. And from there, after those four years, I still didn't really have any idea what I was going to do with my life. And um, my goal was, as a very introverted person, to challenge myself as much as possible. And I chose to move to New York, which is the greatest way to challenge an introvert, I think. So I, I said my career goal is to do something creative that helps people. So I found a job working in fashion for a bit. I was working six days wow. a week for a startup, basically, based out of India. And I helped kind of manage everything in North America, covering e-commerce as well as physical retail. And I didn't think about further education at all. I felt like, okay, I've done what I need to do. I went to college. Like I've done what needs to be done. Now my career will educate me in terms of what's next. Why would I spend more money on education? And obviously, I learned a decent amount doing my job. There were certain things that kind of I loved, certain things that I, I did not like. And uh, I progressed kind of through like my professional development kind of taught me more and more like, okay, if there's certain things that I like, maybe it is worth investing in like my education again to see what other opportunities that can open up for me. So I transitioned from fashion to home decor in 2020 because big scary events happened in 2020 and people weren't going to the office anymore. So they didn't need to wear nice shirts to work. So unfortunately uh, <laughs> my company was scaling down and uh, I was like, okay, well, what's something that's pandemic proof? And I figured home decor because people are at home all the time investing and making their house comfortable. So my skills transited over pretty well and I was a bit happy at my job. And, uh, from there, like I thought about like the e-commerce experience a lot, and, like you know what makes a pleasant experience, and like you know what kind of things do people want to buy? Why do they buy them? Even if it's a bad product, how is the site setting people up for success? So I started thinking about that, like even at my my old job in fashion, like those that was something that was so front of mind for me. I'm just like, okay, well, how do I maximize my learnings here? How can I contribute to making something powerful that people enjoy 
experiencing, like not even the product so much as the service, uh, like trying to give that holistic experience. Yeah. So by the end of 2020, I'm like, I should invest in a UX design course. And like, you know, I, I saw like the bootcamp before Columbia Engineering. I'm like, oh, that seems like an impressive name. Like, you know, let me see what they're about. I applied and I got in and I talked myself out of it again. I have that, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we hopped on the call about imposter syndrome and the, the Dunning-Kruger effect. And I just didn't believe myself enough to take the plunge back then. And two years passed. And at that point, I'm like, no, this is 100% what I want to be doing. So I applied again, went through the program. And I'm so grateful that I did because I tried self-educating. And I think different approaches to education. Like We talked a little bit about MOOCs before, yeah. the, um, the massive online um, open curriculums. And just how the accessibility of information can also be its own obstacle, I think. Like, I knew I could log on and take the Google certificate course through Coursera. I just didn't want to make the time for it. Having the structure of a class that I had to attend three times a week and having 20 hours of homework on top of that for six months, like, that forced me to take it seriously. Great point. So so from there, like, I, I was that much more dedicated. Also having, like, a community of people do the same thing as me that I could talk with, working on group projects, things like that, like... I would say that was like the main highlight for me in taking a boot camp. Beyond that, like obviously there's like shortcomings and like, you know, things that if, if I were to create a boot camp today, like I have ideas on what I want that to look like. Um, and like, well, how I would encourage fellow people interested in UX to pr- pursue their dreams depending on what works for them. So I think education is not a one size fits all approach, but I yep. do think there are common avenues that people can think about exploring and depending on their u- unique situations there's a checklist that you can kind of come up with and like figure out what makes sense for you. And that's something I wish I thought through early on. Like if I had known in college UX was a thing, I would have gone guns a blazing, but uh, I only discovered it more recently as like a conceptual framework. So rant over. Thank you for humoring me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, You made me think about something else before we move on to Tammy. Another one of the benefits of structured education is accountability. Uh, when you, you, cause you mentioned the Google program and I'll, I'll mini rant, uh, warning. I, I need a sound effect for that, but mini rant warning. Uh, there is no accountability as, as is the case with many MOOCs. Um, technically you don't have accountability with self being self-taught, but the people who succeed at being self-taught are people who are highly disciplined. If you're highly disciplined because of a proper learning experience, consists of three things, presentation, application, and feedback. So you read something or you watch videos, then you have to have an opportunity to practice it, but then you need somebody to let you know how well you did. And and that type of an accountability uh, uh, process or cycle is completely absent in the Google program. You do work that's not really put together from a pedagogical perspective. It's not put together properly. And that's what I'm getting my PhD in. So that's not, and that's something I've been doing longer than I've been doing UX. So I know how that's supposed to work. And and their the pedagogy that they present is it's pretty pretty much non-existent. It's it's sort of a I call it a pin the tail on the donkey type of an experience. They're just doing things. And when you don't, when you're not familiar with something and somebody talks to you about it, they it looks like they know more than you, so you just accept it. But that that structure is not there on top of the fact, and I said this when I did a talk recently for Debbie Levitt about how to approach education the right way. Um, we grew up being told what to study. So we just go and we do it. Okay, little Timmy, go to English class. Okay, little Sarah, go to 
go to biology class. You just go. You you went wherever they told you wherever they told you to go. And then as we got older, we've never really had experience, not a lot of it, choosing what we wanted to be educated in and trying to evaluate what educational options were best for us. So we're almost like we're starting from scratch. And we have on diapers. We cognitively we're wearing diapers. And and so we go through that process and, and people will opt into something that does not give them the chance to practice. So the self-discipline, people who have good self-discipline or a good discipline, I guess I don't have to say self-discipline, that's redundant, but they have good discipline, they can make it through that. The more discipline a person has, the more they can benefit from the from the self-education uh, path. But when somebody, when you need that structure and you know you need that accountability, a, a formal education program will do that for you. And one other note on the Google program that I almost forgot to mention, not only do you don't do you not get to engage with the with the teachers, I won't call them professors, they're not professors. They're not really even teachers. They're more facilitators. All of the work is graded by peers. Number one, it's graded by peers. Number two, much of the work that's there, people, we've heard the reports and it's been confirmed hundreds if not thousands of times that people will go through the program, look at turn in blank assignments with the notes that say, I just want the certification. Please give me a passing grade. And how, that's how you really completely invalidate <laughs> the uh, the uh, the value of a, of a program. So, you know, and then those people over 300,000 graduates. If they're really graduates. So anyway, and I don't want to go on too much of a rant. There, so Tammy, it is your turn. What What are your thoughts about and, and experiences with regard to UX education? Okay, uh, so what I'll do is I'm going to approach it from I'm going to talk about my approach. I'm going to go into the informal, uh, self-taught, and then formal. Okay. So to get started, so my approach has been since I'm primarily self-taught, I came from a background that was more you know uh, economically disadvantaged. We'll say we'll kind of phrase it that way. So I didn't have the funds to really go into jumping into these different course, these courses and everything. I did go to college. I went and got a bachelor's in uh, foreign languages. And while I was getting that bachelor's, I realized I'm never going to have the fluency that someone who's bilingual is going to have. So I was like, you know, I need to learn something else. I really enjoyed websites. I liked looking at them, all those things. So I decided that I wanted to learn to be a web developer. I took some programming courses while in college and I got a, I practiced with uh, information that's out there, like pre-code camp, things like that. I practice on my own. And uh, some of them have uh, curriculums that they've they've written out in, in various like detail. So I could use that information to find more resources. So that's kind of my approach. I would find free resources, uh, either create a curriculum based off of recommendations from experts in the field. I had to make sure they were experts for that matter, because you can't just pick up anything. And then I would take the information to create something, practice something, and then I'd find maybe curriculums that were put out, you know, by content creators or by different organizations for people to be able to look over, read, even organizations like, um, I want to say Spring, Spring, Springbook? I can't remember the name of it, but they are a boot yeah. camp. Springboard, um, yeah. Yeah, Springboard, that's what they're called. And they also have a curriculum that you can look at and read. So I took that kind of information to build out my own curriculum to get started. So for web design, I'm also very self-taught. I kind of took that route. And after I could build something, I would then approach companies to get an internship. I got the internship. Now, as an intern, they know I'm learning. So I would learn on the job from uh, more senior people. So that's kind of my approach, right? Nice, nice. 
under yeah right so you understand so you learn the basics you practice it you get into you get your foot in the door somewhere where you can learn directly from someone and this kind of cuts down the cost because I was also still going to college and paying you know out of pocket for that and uh, as well as student loans uh, I didn't want to end my bachelor's so, so far in it and I enjoyed foreign languages but I knew that I in order to earn a good living I needed to move into a different field that I could also enjoy so after working in web development, I, I moved into web design because it was kind of required of us. We had to learn design on the job. You know, they were like, if you're going to be a web developer, you have to do web design. So then I focused more on web design, eventually got into uh, web and graphic design. From there, I realized that uh, the work I was getting and the way I was treated within these companies was very poor. They didn't care too much about the user experience. They didn't care too much about, you know, what was, what was going on their site. They just wanted it to look good. Um, I've been told many a time that I can do what you do. I just don't know how to use the tool. So, you know, I didn't like that. I didn't like that conversation. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to transition into um, UX. Now, when I started transitioning, the information that I first came across was absolutely incorrect. It was, it, they would say this is UX. The reality was it was very much just UI design yep. and, and development. So I went into different interviews and for a UX position. And in these interviews, I was expected to understand uh, the, the full aspect of design systems, UI design, and then front-end development. Not really, not the actual <laughs> aspect of UX, UX design and yep. research. So from there, I realized that this isn't going to, uh, this isn't going to work. So I stopped going to interviews, stopped doing that. I focused more so on applying UX design to the work I was already doing in web design. Because they're very, uh, they're very similar. They're they're adjacent, essentially adjacent as careers. So I learned from resources I could find online. I created a curriculum for myself. I learned from resources I could find online, free resources. I did eventually uh, kind of move into more informal aspects and informal. So now I'll touch on onto those aspects um, for myself. Uh, informal has been. Uh, I took a, a mentorship program with Target. Target has this program, mentorship program. I used that as a way to gauge uh, the work I was creating uh, in practice and applying to the companies I was working for. So I wanted to get feedback from people in the field. And I use that mentorship program to do that. I also would uh, uh, look more at, I want to say it was a Target program. Oh, and then IDX, in, in, Interaction Design Academy, I believe is what they're called. Okay. I use their program. Now, I have a problem with their curriculum. It's not a bad curriculum. It's not they have everything organized very well. Uh, but it's it's very it's a very long, slow process and it's also very uh, much peer graded. You know, it's it's it, well, not peer graded. There are experts that are grading it, but it's like yeah, there are experts that are grading it, but it's there's just an aspect of it that didn't work for me. So, I did go through some of their their coursework as well. Uh, and I just found it kind of to be not not as helpful as it could have been. Like the it's it's very good work, but it lacks something. So maybe there's something to point out. Uh, you know, say something about that later. Uh, there's something I'm not sure what it's lacking, but it was lacking something for me. Uh, so from there, I kind of moved more into uh, practice. You know, getting uh, reviews from different people within the field, like with mentorships. Uh, when it comes to the aspect of self-taught, I continue to apply that to my work. Uh, eventually, uh, I had enough uh, in a portfolio to move into like uh, uh, actual um, UX-focused uh, roles. 
you know, I had these conversations with them. They know my background. I said, hey, this is what I've been doing. This is how long I've been doing it. This is what I did. You know, so things like uh, applying more aspects of UX research, you know, I had to go like in the field, do like guerrilla research, go uh, do like the in-person usability test. Like, so that's kind of what I did to, wow. uh, to apply it to my work. So I had the actual experience. Uh, but as I went along, needing, I realized I need to have more formal education in it, uh, primarily because uh, for me, a, a boot camp wasn't going to be sufficient. I, I listened to the experts about the, the disadvantages or the drawbacks of boot camps. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized, and the cost, I felt like the cost wasn't yes. uh, going to work for me. Uh, especially considering I felt like I was vastly underpaid as a web designer. So uh, from there, I decided I'm going to like, I'm going to get a job in the field first after proving that I can do this work after practicing it. I got a job in the field. And then from there with that income, uh, pay for a master's degree out of pocket and, you know, get maybe grants if possible, uh, things like that. So that's kind of my roadmap. And so I ended up applying and getting into DePaul University for their HCI program. Nice. And nice my choice. goal, yeah. Nice <laughs> and my goal is was primarily to improve the rigor of research specifically. I had so much experience in design that I knew I could improve my my rigor when it came to design, but within this degree, you were going to apply both the design aspect under UX design and the research aspect. But my primary focus is to improve the rigor of research that comes that comes with the master's degree so that's kind of my my kind of long-winded you know way of how i kind of approach the education side of <laughs> that is okay dynamite stories from everybody one of the things as i'm commenting on everybody's everybody's piece here the uh one of the things i just thought about something you said you went to depaul kelly went to um western governors did i get that right I want folks to understand that it's where you get your degree from. You always want to go to the place that's going to offer you the best learning experience. Number one, for those in the audience who are trying to make decisions, I have a a list of schools that I've recommended that people go to just to help people along a little bit. The key, though, is once you get your degree, nobody's really looking at what school you went to. It's not. It's, it's interesting how that happens. So, where you get your degree is for you. You have some instances where if you went to Carnegie Mellon, somebody's going to put you on a pedestal. If you went to University of Washington, somebody's going to put you on a pedestal. Uh, but across the board, no. You you get your degree and they say, okay, you have a master's, great, and they move on to the next subject. So, I don't want anybody to be discouraged if they did or did not. Or, or putting yourself in in a, in a state of entitlement because you went to a particular school, or it don't worry if you if you went to a school that maybe some people might not consider to be more prestigious. Just get the degree. There are only certain schools that will automatically put you in the crosshairs of hiring managers, such as, and I'm just going to say it, even if I get in trouble for it, University of Phoenix. If University of Phoenix had a you uh, a a UX program, I would by all means, please don't go there. Please don't go there. Because I know places that as soon as they see University of Phoenix, they write you off. I know other people who've gone to University of Phoenix and achieved great success. But I'm just saying, that's what happens when you go to certain schools. It's not the big deal that people make it out to be. Sometimes the school you choose is going to be what works for you. I'm talking about universities. Um, but And I would say... 
avoid something like full sale. Again, I might get in trouble. They might not like it. Avoid that. I mean, a school that looks like its name, frankly, got pulled out of a hat. You don't want to go there. It, it just doesn't lend itself to a lot of credibility. I personally went to Syracuse because I know that paying that money means I have a right to put that on my resume. And I want the bragging right that I went to Syracuse. People go to University of Michigan for the bragging rights. They go they go to UCLA for the bragging rights. So there are the reality is there are some bragging rights that come with where you go, but don't be discouraged if you didn't. Uh, Tammy had a hand up there. Yeah, I want I want to speak on that. So with the university thing, I also agree. It does not matter where you went, but what matters is their curriculum, like and yes. how they teach it. Yes. And then looking at who actually graduated from those programs and what they're doing, how they're applying yes. it. So that's my approach. I actually made a list of different uh, universities and everything that I could apply to based off of what their requirements were to get in. And then how students like reflected on how students spoke about that university, what experts said about that university, the programs. Yes. Uh, and I kind of use that to determine which one to go to. But also, I don't believe you have to go to college to to get to work in UX. It just depends. True. In my case, like I said, it's mentioned it was because I want to improve the rigor. So only go if you feel as though that is something you want that you need to, to have for your for your career. Yes. Not because of the college itself, especially because you can go to any which one. So long as their curriculum and the actual way they teach it is uh is, is appropriate is actually makes sense for the field. You know, they're not just kind of just throwing out some fluff. Absolutely. Yeah, that was it pretty much. Absolutely. And you make me think about, I've warned people, there's one university that teaches, they have it on their page for their master's program that if you're not a unicorn, you will not succeed in UX. And I'm going, okay, wow. This information right from the, right from the get go, uh, not good. <laughs> so you want to be careful of things like that. And there is one other thing I will mention. Earlier in my career, I wouldn't, I couldn't get an interview for certain for certain um, positions because I did not have a, a degree. Because remember, I, that when I first started doing UX full time, all I had was an associate's degree. I ended up getting a bachelor's. I ended up getting two master's degree. Now they run from me because of the degrees. But it's uh, there are some companies if you don't have a degree. There is basically a blockade. So understand, especially if you're coming enterprise, a lot of enterprise UX positions, if you don't have a degree, they will not even talk to you. So understand that. But it is what Tammy just said, what other people have echoed. Make sure that you look at education for you first. That is something that's going to benefit and satisfy you as an individual first. Make sure the curriculum is sound, uh, which a lot of a lot of schools, they do not have good uh, curriculums <laughs> when it comes to UX, uh, but that needs to be part of the decision-making process. Uh, Kelly. So I was actually going to say to that point, um, specifically for me, that I started my master's last semester um, and I wanted to make it clear to everyone who's watching that I am a full-time IBMer on one of their more technical products. And I also started my master's program and that is two very large tasks to undertake, and I did it my master's because I wanted to do it in that. I have a background in education and educational technology. I come from teachers. My mom's a teacher. My sister's a teacher. I want to work in curriculum development eventually. These are two things that I, I chose to do and I like to do. One thing I get a lot of times when I was actively working with incoming UX designers is uh, there's 
this need for people to understand this strict checklist of like, can I do this? And can I do that? And then I'll get a job. And I would have to explain to people like, you have to do exactly what it is that you feel is necessary for you. And then you'll find yes. the the space that you belong. Um, I, I awesome. don't think that being a unicorn is a benefit to anyone. <laughs> and I have plenty of stories after I give everyone a chance to speak on that, but it's only been a downfall for me. Um, yep. and, and, and my journey in UX and more specifically, um, I would say that with the master's programs, it's more so, uh, they, they're only going to benefit you if you know what you're doing with them or if you know why you're doing it. So yep. I've seen that now that I have an enterprise role and I work at an enterprise company and also getting a master's, like you said, there were jobs that wouldn't touch you if you didn't have these degrees. And that yep. was my mother's pushing of like, you need to get your degrees. You need to get her. She's still pushing for the PhD, which <laughs> we'll see how that works out. But there are also jobs that I can't get because I have um, a enterprise uh, job and I have enterprise work experience and now I'm going to have a master. So there's certain companies that won't touch me because yep. I'll be overqualified for them. Yep. So you have to be careful and you also have to make sure that you're doing what you want to do. I'm fine with if someone sees my credentials and they're just like, oh, well, you know, we can't afford her or whatever. That's perfectly okay. That's not what I'm looking to do. So I, I wanted to put it out there that there's no strict list of things that yep. you have to do as an incoming designer. You have to follow what you want to do. Awesome. Awesome. Excellent stuff. Elena. Yeah, I wanted to say uh, in response to Patricia Tammy, I really identify with the experience of looking at, for example, a UX designer job and finding that what the job really asks is maybe to be a graphic designer or a visual designer, right? And I also remember I was listening uh, to the podcast uh, in which you were giving tips to new UXers, right? And you were saying, uh, you know, if, if, for example, this job is real UX, if it is actually UX focused, uh, then um, a super, um, like a portfolio that really shows up your visual design skills a lot is not as essential as you might think or like the perfect portfolio or like the um, really well-crafted one from the point of view of visual design. And the job that I would like to have is that kind of job. And <laughs> I am really drawn to also UX research, for example. Mm -hmm. I would love to be a UX researcher and that is really UX focused or a UX designer that thinks more about the UX, if you will, rather than the UI, which is also many times a part of yes. like what the company posts in the job description. So now I have this conundrum. Most of the jobs that I see in the job market where I am, but it seems to be like pretty much everywhere the same problem. Uh, there are many, many more UX designers job than UX researcher jobs. And many more UX designer job that actually means we want you to like design the UI for our app. We want you to use, you know, Figma. That is all you will do. Like we'll not do anything else. Um, and so my question is, how do you think I should go about it? Should I uh, 
expand my search? Should I really try to drill in on those UX researcher positions, on those really like more UX mature companies? Should I really try to aim for those super big companies that clearly maybe have those UX researcher jobs or value UX at least because they can quote unquote afford it? Like the UX researcher jobs that I've seen were many times at very big brand names, but then I'll have a lot more competition. And it will take a lot of search to find like a smaller company that can allow me to do that work. Or should I also consider all kinds of UX designer jobs with the pitfall of like having to really refine my visual design skill, having to improve my skills on that. But taking the job gives me quote unquote a foot in the door and then I can try to advocate for UX maturity or I can try to do my part in the UX research and I can try to develop my skills and then eventually improve myself, eventually try to get that quote-unquote real UX job. What do you think? I'm going to keep my answer short. I'm going to re- I'm going to mention something that Kelly said. Uh, and we're, and after Aditya has a comment, we're going to get into the Q&A segment. Uh, but uh, Kelly said that in order to find a real UX design job, please read the job description. And I'm going to come back and touch on that quickly. Uh, the position title is sometimes written by people who don't know anything about UX. <laughs> and so, and, and I'll even add on to that. Not only do they not know anything about UX, a lot of job descriptions are nothing more than a gigantic crapshoot. They not, they don't know about UX and they don't know what the person in the job is going to do, but they've been told to hire somebody and they're going to, that's their goal is to hire somebody. And, and you are a lot of times I know this is not comforting to hear, but a lot of times you are a guinea pig and and <laughs> you are flat out a guinea pig. They That's why uh, there's a lot of baiting and switching that's going on. So it's great that you have goals. And I love the way that you frame those goals. It's, it's fantastic to hear somebody who knows what they want to do. You know about the awareness and the possibility of advocating for UX maturity after you get in it. Wow. Advocating for switching up the role and making it more solid when you get in. Wow, that's great. Uh, a lot of people aren't going to let you do any of that stuff, even if they tell you they are during the interview. Uh, we interview with people who don't know how to interview. We interview with people who aren't happy that they're hiring somebody. Uh, and, and a lot of these times, it's very seldom you can get hiring managers and people in interviews to be honest with you. And that's an amazing thing that you think you're going into one thing. You see everybody on LinkedIn. Congratulations. You got a new job. Yay. And, and, and it's actually, it's hell on wheels. You, you, you have no idea what you're about to get into. Uh, I mean, I just went from the worst position in my career to the best position in my career. And, and I would have thought it would have been the other way around. The, the, I was lied to. I was baited and switched. Uh, I ended up going to work with a bunch of people that were very insecure. They had terrible inferiority complexes. They they did everything they could to really try to thwart my operation. So your your ability to achieve when you go into a role, no matter what you bring to the table from a qualifications and experience perspective, is always limited to what they're going to let you do. But they're not going to tell you that in an interview. They're not going to tell you that in the job description. And you're going to have to figure it out on the fly, which is another reason why there's a lot of short shelf lives. If you look at it, just randomly go and look at 10 people's profiles in UX. Look at how long they've been on their jobs. 
especially if they're mid to more senior level. Look at how long, look at how short those stints are. I'm not saying anything I haven't said before. And I tell people, even in my job today, I will tell people, as soon as I find out you're crazy, I'm gone. I, I refuse to work for crazy. There, dysfunction is one thing. Toxicity is one thing. And crazy is something completely different. And you you can usually spot it, in a, to, to Kelly's point in the job description, because they'll say, must be able to work in a fast-moving environment. That's code for extremely dysfunctional and that it will defy all logic. That's what that usually means. Uh, and they will treat you like dirt. And, and yeah, I could go on and on and on about that. So have your goals in place. Yes. I would say apply everywhere. Look at the job description, as Kelly said. And, and, and I, I'm going to qualify that again, too. Be careful where you look for jobs. And, and, and I, I shouldn't say be careful. Yes, be careful. But be very deliberate. Because LinkedIn has jobs, Glassdoor has jobs, um, Dice has jobs. Um, man, I'm missing some. Indeed has jobs. There's a lot of the career builder is still out there. And then there's the hidden job market that really only shows up if you network. There are positions that open up and you have no idea that they're available. They're not going to pop up in LinkedIn. So only the people who I love what Tammy mentioned. Man, she's a go getter. <laughs> she did, man. She just, we have a session just with Tammy talking about what to do, just telling a story on that because it, it's just wonderful stuff. Some people don't engage in that. I got my job today because I happened to to turn around and look at a post on LinkedIn. I was in the right place at the right time and found out that they were hiring. The position hadn't even been posted yet. And I found out about it, and then I'm interested. Okay, well, the post is going up, and then do this, 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 and this, and boom. Next thing you know, I got the job. I got some of my teaching jobs because people come to me, not because I applied to them. They came looking. We noticed you do X, Y, and Z. Would you be interested in? And so those types of things really can be, I mean, there, there, there's a lot of opportunities and a lot of ways to land those roles. So don't limit yourself, but be deliberate about where and yeah, study those job descriptions and you'll get good at, I actually had a couple of episodes, prior episodes where we walked through job descriptions and I talked through, as a matter of fact, I believe it's, uh, it's called the, the job seeking uh, landscape for new UXers. And we walked through job postings and I talked about the red flags. When you see this, beware. If they're trying to hire for a role and they've been hiring for that role for 10 months, you don't want that role, no matter how it sounds. You don't want it. There's one unnamed company. I won't say who they are. They've been trying to hire a UX manager, for a research manager for nine months. You want to get into UX research. Man, if you have X amount of experience, what a great opportunity. No, it's not. They don't know what they want. They don't know what to do with whoever they get. And there's a reason why it takes nine months or, or longer for a company to hire because they don't know how to hire. And so if they hire you, they still don't know how to hire. They doubt their choice. And now you've got a nightmare and you won't recognize that until you start losing sleep. Literally. <laughs> and and uh, what did I get myself into where you only get four hours of sleep and you lay there staring at the ceiling, thinking about all the crazy stuff at work. So just something else to consider. And then before we get into the Q and a Aditya. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. I resonate with so much of everything that we all have seemed to have like a, a pretty, fair alignment with our experience as a new as new UXers and like having some work experience and kind of 
navigating our education on those decisions. And I think, you know, again, I can only speak from a personal level, kind of the way I've had to navigate it is I've always kind of idealized a lot of what the opportunities out there are and how I can be better to suit those opportunities. Yes. And the second I start internally asking myself, what do I want to do? What can I bring to the table for me? How do I more selectively choose the opportunities that make sense for me? And then I'm more carefully reading those job descriptions and I'm seeing like things that say UX designer and most of it is UI design, of course. Like that's just, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of these, our terminology is getting muddled up. It's unfortunate consequence of what's happening with UX today. And like, Darren, I, I intended 24 hours of UX with you. We talked about this a little bit back then too. Yep. And um, it's unfortunate, just the misinformation that's going around right now. I think that's a huge component of it, which is why it's harder. And that's something yeah. I'm navigating to. Like I've, I've been applying since February, trying to find like the right opportunity for me. And even applying for the ones that I don't necessarily want, like I'm still not able to get interviews and things like that. And it's crazy how picky people are because everything on my resume, except <laughs> my title, is UX work. And yep. they'd rather see someone that says UX design and like the, the bullets say design your pretty website versus like, I did this and increased conversions. I made my company 200% more profitable in a month with one change. Wow. They don't care about that as long as it, if it doesn't say UX designer above, above the bullet point. So that's something I've been more conscious of. And like, I felt more validation just telling myself if they can't see my value, I don't want to be with them. Bingo. Yes, sir. <laughs> so that's that's been huge for yes. me. And that hasn't made me necessarily closer to getting a job, but it's getting me closer to getting the right job. The and right that's job. something I put a lot of pride in. Yes. And I know that, you know, as I've gone through this journey of like determining what makes sense for me and what I can do is also like all these unpredictable factors. Like I don't want to get too philosophical, but just like in, in terms of stoicism, right? What's in your control? What isn't in your control? How do you invest your energy? Yes. How can you influence things to work for you? That's been very key in keeping myself grounded as I try and find a job because there have been some very bad days and there's obviously been like better days. Like I think about just how much I've benefited from perspectives, like, you know, having these types of conversations and I know we're going to talk about ADP list in a minute and, you know, <laughs> pros and cons around that and things surrounding just having mentorship and being able to speak with people that can help you inform your perspectives better. Also learning how to filter perspectives because they yes. might not be hundred percent right, but maybe there's some truth in what they're saying. So I, I think in, developing that eq a little bit like trying to understand how bingo different perspectives are ultimately going to help you inform how you can navigate your life your career your decisions to the best of your ability that's something i'm really grateful to be learning now and i wish i could have learned it younger like i'm turning 27 (laughs) in two days and uh it's crazy to think that i'm on this journey and like i'm so excited about it now when i was previously thinking about from place of fear like Who's going to want me for a job? It's like, no, now I'm like, I want a job, but I also want what's best for me. So thanks for humoring me. Yes. Happy birthday. (laughs) And Tammy has one more, Tammy has one more thought to add to this. So let's get those questions queued up and Tammy. Okay. So one thing I want to add to this, and I I really like what, what Adita uh, mentioned. So if you're, I'm just going to add this, if you're someone, uh, a person of color, a, a someone who is from the LGBTQ community, um, a woman, any person who has been historically or uh, marginalized or disadvantaged for any reason, systemic or otherwise, um, read the read the reviews for every company, yes. read the reviews and reach out to a pre, to people who have worked at that company. Yes. And you need to get them comfortable. They need to tell you how it actually is. Because you'll learn more about this. I go into interviews and I ask them, I said, hey, I read your Glassdoor reviews. 
some, there were at least three women on there that said they were sexually harassed while they were there. I've, I've read your glass door reviews. There were at least, you know, four people of color who said they were, uh, they were passed over multiple times for work for people who had, who had just been hired and they'd been somebody for a year. Yeah. So even if you're new to the field, always read the reviews. If your goal is to move up in the company or if your goal is to improve your career, if you're going to work for a company that has poor reviews because that's the only company you can get into at that time, you have to have an action plan to leave. You have to, and I'm just going to put it out there, you have to plan your exit. Your exit has to be within that year. You know, Get the year's experience if you need to, but I highly, highly, highly do not recommend working for a company that has poor reviews because you will find out why. Yes. That was it. Yes. Yes. Great point. Great point. It's funny. Uh, Aditya mentioned Fishbowl in the chat. I found them to be, I, I'm sharing uh, what I refer to Fishbowl as, and again, they're not going to like it, but hey, you know, I'm not out here to make friends. I'm out here to help people. Uh, Fishbowl to me is Reddit on steroids. It's pretty Reddit. It's it Reddit is <laughs> the Kelly's laughing, <laughs> and you can you can you can unmute so we can hear your laughter because that that'll help. Nobody knows you're laughing but me because I can see you. But Reddit <laughs> is, Reddit is the land of trolls. And as everybody, when, when you're laughing, feel free to unmute so we can hear you. But the uh, Reddit is the land of trolls, and Fishbowl to me, the voice and the tone out there is exactly like Reddit. <laughs> Reddit with skeuomorphic UI. <laughs> yeah, the. Uh, they're saying the same things. I left Fishbowl because I get trolled a lot for the things I stand up for uh, to the point where people hunt me down at work. Uh, people do things to me locally. Uh, I mean, the, the stuff that I experience, and it's almost daily. Yeah, Elena, it's almost, what I experience is crazy. But I'm going to go on another tangent. So let's go ahead and just shift and move on to the next person. Who wants to start us off? With the Q and A, I'll, I'll, I'll defer to what you folks want to address, Elena. Yes, um, my question is: uh, We can get to the Edith Billis question later, but I have another one actually also. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Which is: <laughs> So I am searching for a job. I'm also trying to develop my skills at the same time, get more yeah. qualified, uh, and so on. One of the ways that I'm trying to do that is to work on projects. Uh, sometimes with other people, right? So for example, somebody has an idea and they need a designer, they need somebody to handle that part. Um, I'm wondering, do you have any tips on how to approach this kind of work the right way, in a way that can really set you up for success, can set you up for improving your skills, to also be able to to improve yourself and at the same time show your worth when you were to present it to some company and so on. And same thing applies to freelancing as well. So both yes. like project slash self-started startups kind of things and yes. like freelancing. Do you have any practical tips about that on how to do it well? Yeah. First in general, that's a great way to get started, especially when people, when you don't have the experience, you haven't had the job. Some people are transitioning in, so they have work. They're bringing in income, but they're trying to get the UX job. So that's literally a transition where, okay, you're keeping food on the table, you're keeping the lights on, but you're really trying to go the UX route. And pro bono work is a great way to go. There are there are resources online where people can sign up, and they actually have people that are looking to find folks to do uh, UX work. I didn't you mention catchafire.org. You can register with them. That's a way to find some work. And so that's actually how I got my start. 
I didn't even know. I, I just happened to, and I, I, you may, you folks may have heard me tell the story before. I was actually connected to a nonprofit organization. Everybody was running to the internet in 1995. I just happened to be again, right place, right time. If I hadn't been in the right place at the right time, it wouldn't have happened. It, it's amazing how timing is such a, a key factor in, in our success. I said, well, you want to get on the internet? Everybody was doing brochureware. I know it now is brochureware. Everybody was doing brochureware. I can get you on the web. I think I know enough to figure this out and get you on the web. It was just ironic that what I did then was common sense. I later discovered that it's part of what I do now every day as a UX professional to, to do the guerrilla testing, to check on the cognitive load. Who knew? I mean, I didn't call it cognitive load. I didn't call it guerrilla testing. I didn't call it information architecture, but these are the things that I was that I was doing. So I was again right place, right time, where I was able to get some work done, and it was so successful, and I learned so much that I decided to start doing work and and putting myself out there from a standpoint of making it known that I was available to do work. I have to define what it means to put yourself out there, and people saw the work, they liked it. And they wanted me to do some work for them. I went to an event in the Thumb area of Michigan. And it turned out that there was a person who was in charge of a newspaper in the Thumb area of Michigan that's still in circulation today. And they didn't know that I was doing, again, similar to what two of you mentioned, web design and applying UX principles. That's how I got my start. And that's how I started ramping up. Oh, I didn't know you did that. Do you think you can help us? I think our website could use a makeover. I think we could use some help. I, I We're doing it, but I don't think we're doing a great job. I became their webmaster. I contracted with them annually and I redesigned the whole site and, and it just, it became a big hit. And, and, and in that time where all they were doing, oh my God, Microsoft Publisher, they were doing the paper in Microsoft Publisher and clicking a button to export it as a website. And we were able to <laughs> overcome all the ghastliness associated with that experience. For those of you who remember Microsoft Publisher, I think it's actually still out there, which is what's funny about it. Uh, Microsoft Publisher, that is. That's how I got I got going. So it's going to be about networking. A lot of it is going to be timing. None of us could plan it perfectly. I stumbled into UX. That's another thing about early UXers. We all stumbled into the discipline. You, you're Today, you're making a conscious, a deliberate decision. So it's going to be a little bit different. So make connections. Go to catchafire.org. Thanks again for that, Aditya. Go to catchafire.org. And and Kelly mentioned, be careful with startups because it's great to get experience, but most times they'll have you do more than what your position and role is calling for uh, because a lot of people, they are into the multiple hat wearing scenario and you do have to protect yourself. Something else about freelancing too you do have to, if you're going to do that the right way, you do have to have insurance. Because if something goes wrong, you could be per- held personally liable. So so freelancing where the, the boot camps tell people, just just tell people you're freelancing and put that on your put that on your resume and your profile, which automa- also makes you ineligible for a refund. As soon as you say that you're freelancing, you're no longer eligible for a refund, and people don't know that. So just some interesting stuff to know and understand about that. So, Aditya. That's super valuable to know. I think me and Elena are in similar boats. We're trying to, like, break into our first UX role. So um, I brought up Catchify specifically because, you know, you're thinking about 
developing experience, like trying to learn more and like really make an impact with real world experience and working with like a real stakeholder. A lot of the projects on Catch Fire, there's nothing for UX design. It's all web design and web development. And I have kind of used that to my advantage and like developed a pitch for myself where I'm like, hey, I know you want to redesign your website. And I, I start asking questions like, what's the purpose of this? Like, what are you trying to accomplish with the yes. redesign website? Who is it for? I'm like, okay, well, what I do is I do UX design. Like that encompasses redesigning your website, but it means I'm going to use data to inform validating decisions to help you accomplish what you need to do. I'm Perfect. not just going to make you a pretty website. I'm going to make you a website that accomplishes your goals. And that's something that, you know, that's helped me make really positive conversations. Like I'm still very much early phases with this, but a lot of people on the hear that they're like, yeah, I don't want a pretty website. I want a website that does what I need it to do. Yep. And reframing that, doing that little bit of education in your pitch. And even in interviews, it's been really powerful for me to just say like, I understand that you want to redesign something. Can you tell me why? What are you trying to accomplish? And that's been huge just to demonstrate like, you know what you're up to, even if they don't understand it, like how you can add value. So that's something that I've, I've learned a lot. Like I've been speaking with like, you know, and we'll talk about this in a with ADP list. Like I've been connecting with some professionals and like learning more about their expertise, how they got to where they are, how they navigate the situation, how they got experience, what education looked like. And for me personally, like I think my dream job would be to work in video games and do UX in video games. And I like to get my start developing myself anywhere I can just to learn what UX is in practice and application and get really confident and build my skills and contribute like meaningful ways. And then one day, you know, like make a game like that. That would be like, I want to do something meaningful and fun and positive. Like I, I think about video games just being, I guess, something that really inspired me in terms of UX and UI. Um, but yeah. Excellent. Excellent stuff. Yeah. Yep, so and the question to yes. end on that, sorry, I'm going to win the next section now is, right. what do you think of ADP list? <laughs> Um, and I know there's going to be a lot of comments around this, uh, ADP list is the idea is great in general that you can come to them and they will, uh, find a mentor for you and somebody who will help you grow in the discipline in general. That's what, that's what it's about. Would everybody agree with that in general? That that's what it's for. Here's, here's part of the catch and and part of, and I did a, a series about what I call demystifying the world of UX mentoring uh, because it is taught that you must have a mentor. And, you know, you want to get, you want to get successful in UX. The first one of the first things you need to do is get a mentor. Uh, no. Uh, guess what? A lot of people early in UX did not have mentors. We didn't have mentors. Guess what? A lot of people, you know, you're a plumber. It's good to have a mentor. You're an architect, it's good to have a mentor. Is it good to have a mentor? Yes. Now, where does that mentor not, do you, do you have to have a mentor? Because the answer is no, you don't. Matter of fact, from a, as a person who was also self-taught, you know who, who my mentor was or who facilitated the mentoring role, so to speak? It was the books I was reading. And I would immerse myself in those books like crazy. And I would practice the stuff that was in those books like crazy. But did I have a person that I could talk to? No, because nobody was doing the work. Who, who are you going to talk to? And look at where we are now from a successful standpoint. I've never truly had a mentor. Never truly. Have I had anybody that I could tap into from time to time? And you can't call them a mentor if they're if they're in and out of your life. That's, that's not really a, a mentor. 
Uh, there have been some people that have been able to help me with different aspects of what I'm doing, but there's mentors, there's counselors, there's coaches, and a mentor is a different animal. And, and so the concept of mentoring, like a lot of other things, has been dumbed down for people to think that it's one thing when it's actually something else entirely. That said, you know where the best mentors are? And I say this on the series. Somebody you work with as far as a day-to-day aspect because there's different types of mentors. You have day-to-day mentors. You have on-the-job mentors that not only help you with your UX but help you understand the organization that you're in. The ran- A random person giving you input can't necessarily help you at your place of work. And as a matter of fact, you have some people who will present themselves as mentors or that they're helping you, and they've only worked at one company. Guess who has a narrow point of view? That individual. Because <laughs> all they know about is how, especially in the, I've seen people, knowledgeable people, have fantastic things to contribute to help people understand things about the discipline, but all they've only worked, they've only worked in enterprise. And if you've only worked in em- enterprise, yeah, you bring value, but there's things you don't know. When that part of the conversation comes comes up you should you should zip it because you just don't understand so to have somebody at work if if you work at a company and you don't have somebody who fulfills a mentoring role you're at a loss and then those people have to start seeking it outside and if you start seeking help outside then that may or may not help you what they have to say may or may not be on point one of the things that i think adp has done is they sensationalized the concept of mentoring They've taken something that does have some validity, and they've they've sensationalized it. They have uh, they have a group a, a set of qualifiers qualifications that if you want to be a mentor, you should you should be able to check all these boxes. And they don't even keep their own they don't even keep their own guidelines. They I know people, and some of you have mentioned you know you know people who have who are qualified to be mentors that are mentors. And then you know people that aren't qualified to be mentors, and they've been approved as mentors. That monkey wrenches everything, especially in this age where we have so much UX celebritism that's going on today, where people, they just want to be heard. They don't really want to help you. They just want to be able to say, I've done 30 hours of mentoring and then post this thing to LinkedIn, because it's about them. It's not about you. It's not about helping you get anywhere. That's a disconnect. Uh, the fact that people want to be, uh, they want to boast about how many people they've helped. I have helped 200,000 people. Have you really? If you've helped 200,000 people, I've seen that before. If you've helped 200,000 people, why in the world are we in the state we're in? From, from a UX standpoint, that's a problem. So mentoring should be about ongoing relationship. It's about not only, I've heard these stories before too. I, I connected with an ADP list person and I asked them, to look at my portfolio, and they did that. But when I asked them about my career, they were like deer in the headlights. So are you a mentor or a portfolio reviewer? Because those are also two different things. If that's all you can do is review portfolios, there's a problem. And if you can't put portfolios in perspective for someone, your review doesn't mean a lot. It doesn't have a lot of value because if any of anybody was to apply with me for a role, and I was the hiring manager, guess what I don't care that much about? Your portfolio. And a lot of portfolios will tell you that people, all they do is a bunch of aesthetically pleasing things, but can they tell you really about how they pivoted? 
Can they tell you about how they really brought value to an organization? How many portfolios have you seen that are just overly verbose? Matter of fact, you know that people tell you through the portfolios that they're not ready for a UX role because they violate UX principles right within their portfolio. They're, they're too verbose, which means that, so it means that they don't know that people don't read on the web. That means that they don't read your portfolio either. And, and excessive, excessively verbose in writing means that the person really is more likely to be more arrogant. Uh, Aditya mentioned something really critical earlier that how much EQ is a person demonstrating? Did you know you can demonstrate EQ in your portfolio? But how many people do it? So, and, and how many AD, ADP portfolio people are, reviewers are going to tell you that? Probably only, I know a few, good mentors. They were good mentors before they went to ADP less. And, and really, you don't need, I mentor people all over the world. Do I need a formal resource to do it? No, I don't. And so you don't need that and you don't need to go to a formal resource to get a mentor. The fact that you can go shopping like you're going to the local grocery store to get a mentor should be a red flag to somebody because that simply isn't how it works. The best mentors, on one hand, you got to have one at work, but even if it's at work, again, repeating something I said on the series I did, the best mentoring scenarios are the ones that happen organically without you because you can't go and shop for, you don't know what to do from a UX perspective anyway. How are you going to pick a mentor? How are you going to pick a mentoring resource? You really can't. So, you know, this is not like we're going to the store trying to decide between Del Monte and Green Green Giant Green Beans. That we're talking about something that you don't you're shopping about something you don't know. You don't have you don't have a filter. And so the chances of you doing it right, even if you go to a to an to an organization that's supposed to provide you with a mentor, it's still it's still a crapshoot and uh hit and miss. If ADP List was doing what they should be doing, there should be more hits than misses. And I'm hearing way too many miss stories with regard to ADP List. Way too many. And I know everybody's going to sound off here. So, Kelly, your hand was up first. Go ahead and sound off on this topic. We we begin the close here. I was going to sound off, but I was also going to ask a question about that. So, I've been in a couple of mentorship positions. Mostly I've been a mentor to some people and a majority of it has happened. I would say not by choice, um, very organically. Um, but then some of it has happened as well too. Um, like, uh, applying for mentorship positions that were available. Cause a lot of being able to do UX or starting in UX mentorship is considered volunteer work. And they always recommend you do volunteer work. Yep. So a lot of people jump in and go into mentorship as a part of their uh, learning to be a better UX designer, yep. which <laughs> I <laughs> I actually stopped mentoring about a year ago. Um, <laughs> not even a year ago, more than that, because I, I found that what I would tell people based off of the experiences that I went through and I guess up against what they were learning and especially in boot camps and what they were learning in these courses, uh, there was yep. a point of conflict always. And it was yep. like my word against what was being said to people from uh I, I would say outside sources sources, but I wouldn't boot camps are are just uh in the nicest way I can put it, they're like businesses. <laughs> they're asking for your Bingo. money. So they're gonna <laughs> predatory gonna tell you whatever they want to hear. Predatory businesses, I might add essentially very predatory businesses yep. asking for your money. So 
if I'm a part of a boot camp and I'm looking at, you know, incoming UX designers portfolios and I'm telling them, listen, you you can't do this this way. You have too much content here. They're not going to read that. Managers aren't going to look at this. Um, your your accessibility is off on your website, which was a big thing. Um, I would get pushback from the people that I would be mentoring. And so I stopped doing it. I, I, I don't actively mentor at the moment. And my question would be, how do we, who those of us who are going towards that mid-range in our career, become better mentors? And how do we find better mentors as well, too? Because I do like it. I love the education part of being yeah. in design, but I I feel like I'm pushing against this big machine. A lot of the things that you say, Darren, I feel like there's people who push back against it to push back against it. But then when I'm in the field and I'm looking at incoming UX designers and I'm hearing their problems, they're talking about the same things that you talk about. Yep. So. It, it's to the point where like, okay, we, it's a problem that we're actually all living through, yeah. but nobody wants to acknowledge it. So how do we become better mentors to start from that point? I think two things, it, and it's part of what I mentioned earlier, it's organic. Uh, it's growth. We When we opt into UX, when we pursue UX, we are opting into a uh, um, lifelong learning. We're, we're, we're committed to learning for a lifetime, the more you grow naturally, and, and and I talk about things like passion as being key to the foundational aspect of UX. Uh, I talk about ethics, and there's something beautiful that arises out of passion, ethics, and being properly nurtured and growing. You naturally care, and when you nat when you reach a point when you naturally care about people, when you're not in it for you, when you're not trying to get a bunch of followers. I saw somebody, oh, my followers, I, I've I've gained 10,000 followers on LinkedIn in the last three minutes. Do you care about them? What you share shows what you care. There are some people that say that you can't, uh, you can't, you can't tell people how much you, some goofy say, saying about how you, you can't tell people, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. When the truth is that the more you can't really care till you know. So it's, it's, you know, I don't, I don't need to listen to somebody who doesn't care about my development. Their, their ability to help me is going to be hit and miss. But when you naturally, when you organically grow, you read a book, man, I read the book multiplier because there's some books I'm about to do an, uh, a, another book recommendation list. It talks about the same topic, Kelly. How do you grow? How do you turn into a leader? Because people say leaders are born. No, leaders are developed. Even if a person had leadership traits, that came from, that was cultivated in them, something that that organically grew in them and it just so happened that it blossomed. The more you learn about certain things, like the book Multipliers I was about to mention, you read that book and you let that stuff resonate and, and, and sort of marinate in your heart and you begin to, to demonstrate these things, and you become more and more emotionally intelligent, Those that's where the land of good mentors is. It's with the passion. It's with the growth. It's with the knowledge. Because you know, I saw somebody yesterday, and somebody actually said on LinkedIn, they said, go ADP list. And that's all they posted. That, that's that's all their post said, go ADP list. And, and I'm like, and I posted a reply, and I said, they're run by trolls. Because of, there's a lack, there's there's a lot of trolling that happens come from the top on down 
You can't be, and I say this all the time, you can't be a troll and really advocate for UX the way you should. Because there's going to be a, a bunch of disconnects in the in the in the emotional intelligence component. You're not going to truly be able to empathize for people because you don't care about anybody or you care about people to a limit. You, you, one of the reasons I love UX so much, it has got to be one of the most selfless. It's like the medical field. To thrive in the medical field, you got to be selfless. The more selfless you are, the more you can accomplish, the more you can help people. Uh, and, and UX, we're looking out for the business. We're looking out for the users. Where do we come into play? We vault ourselves forward as we vault them forward. So the, that's what the more you do these things and look at everybody else and learn about the discipline, the better position. And then mentoring just happens as stated. I My first four university roles came because people came to me. I didn't apply. They saw something in me and came to me. It just so happened I have a passion for education and always have been. I actually been educating people for 40 years officially and, and have a history going all the way back to when I was a kid, the one who was teaching everybody how to hit. And then these people would go other places. Who in the world taught you how to hit? And they would refer back to this little 10-year-old guy that showed, <laughs> that showed them how to hit. It, it, so this goes back like a long time. I went to, when I first went to college, it was with the intention of becoming a coach. I wanted to be a, a f- football coach. That's what I wanted to be when I went to college. And and I'm not a football coach, but I'm still a coach. So like that, so that thing still materialized into something that we all partake of now today. So you you've already got the makeup for it. You just it's just gonna marinate. The better steak is the one that marinated the longest. You know, you know, I love metaphors. There's yet another one. So the longer we we get into the right around the right seasonings, so to speak, and allow ourselves to marinate in those things, oh, you'll be a you'll be a mentor that's sucking the nun, and that second to nun is a group because a bunch of people end up falling into that group. These people who want to be mentors, and I hear people, I want to be a mentor, I want to be a mentor, and they've done nothing, they've said nothing, they know nothing. Okay, it's okay to have that aspiration, but just slow down. And let's grow. Let's revisit this. <laughs> and, and let's grow. Why do you want to be a mentor so bad now? Because some of them, they just want to be in the spotlight. And that's dangerous to all of us. And and right now, those people are running the ship. Right now. And, and that's bad. So, Elena. Yes, I, I agree with your points. I like that. In on basically every topic that we discuss, you bring forward, you know, nuance. As in, if you know everybody says a certain thing, uh, sometimes you come forward and you start by saying the opposite, but then you you say you clarify something like, you know, you bring in the nuance. Nothing is always good. Nothing is always bad. You have to take it case by case. It's yeah. like saying. Like, for example, you say you want to have a filter to to post on LinkedIn. There are accurate posts. There are not accurate posts. It depends. Everything is a tool. Um, So I wanted to sound off on that because um, you said you you heard a lot of negative experience with ADP List. Yeah. Um, Well, actually, um, I wanted to offer my experience. Mm -hmm. It's It's been very good. So I think one of the things that I like about it 
is that I feel like uh, talking in person to some with somebody, even if it's through a video call, it ca- it's more in a way human, humanizing. It humanizes everybody. You see who is in front of you, can talk nicely to them, they answer. Like it's more, it makes you feel more fulfilled. I feel that's my opinion. Yeah. Um, whereas in social media, sometimes uh, it can be very can make people very lonely or trolls, as you were saying, because you don't see the person, you don't really realize in your heart that that's a person. Um, <laughs> so that is to me that is one great pro of um, of uh, uh, ADP list is that when you are a person who maybe is not in the field, so a new UXer like us. You don't have a lot of experience in the field. It can be very overwhelming sometimes to feel like, who would want to hire me? I don't belong in this field. I don't have the skills right now. I don't know what I have to do to get the skills right now. Uh, It's scary. But uh, so when, for example, what happened to me is I went on ADP list and I basically looked kind of shallowly, right? At the qualifications of the person. how much experience did they have? What kind of, if they were a really big branding company, does that really exemplify like the experience, the value of a person? No, but that's what I did at that moment because that's what ATP list was offering me, right? As, yeah. the, as the information about a person. So I um, booked some meetings and obviously this is something the person has to look out for. If you see that somebody just has a little experience, obviously that's something on the like mentee, I think, uh-huh. uh, to, to kind of judge, value who yeah. they want to listen to, and even maybe who they see that is in their dream position, in their ideal position, maybe they can listen to them also. And what happened to me is that every single time, uh, well, most of the times, uh, I was talking to people, and I think the value really shines through in talking to the same person that you trust, that you really feel like you're learning a lot from more than once even. It's not really the single conversation that I think unlocks the most value, but even seeing as you progress on the path, uh, that that person or those people that I talk to more regularly really gave me a lot of energy. They gave me a lot of realizing, you know, what I have to do is this. See, you sometimes come in as a new UXer with a mindset of, Uh, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I fit in in this field. It's very abstract. I don't even know where to start. Mm -hmm. Whereas the person is very practical. It puts you into onto the real world. And it's like, we are looking for this. This is what you need and gives you very, very valuable insights. Another thing that I like about it is that it's accessible to everybody regardless of economic background because it's not under a paywall like many of those other resources out there. So I think there is big value in it is it always like the best thing you uh, ever I mean it depends on who you talk to the experience obviously will vary but I think it has great potential especially for people who don't know right anything to get to know from somebody for example such as you who has a lot of experience willing to give back that is one of the most uh, the easiest way to be able to to learn from somebody with that kind of common sense, you know? So that's why I feel like for me, it was a very useful tool. And maybe that's why also somebody is saying sometimes to, oh, you know, just do it, go to an AD Palace. Of course, there are nuances to that. But for me, it was very useful. 
And Tammy mentions, I know Tammy has her hand up next. I'm going to mention this now anyway, and she's probably going to elaborate on this. Uh, Tammy mentioned in the chat that she said, for me, all the mentors that are worth talking to weren't available. That is a phenomenal point because people don't realize it. The people that are worth talking to aren't available. We don't don't have time. There's a reason we got to where we are. And I get, I get notes from people all the time. They act like I'm sitting under a tree drinking iced tea. It's no, I I got a full-time job, five teaching jobs. I'm married I'm a PhD candidate. I'm a photographer. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm doing so much stuff that, that it's like, it's crazy. And, and, and so my time is like extremely minimal and everybody that's worth talking to. Yeah, they don't. There are some people that do. If you get to ADP list and you're able to talk to a Patrick Neiman, you're fortunate. If you're able to talk to Haman Shu. You're fortunate. If you get to talk to Justin Ranton, you're fortunate. There are a few others that I know who are mentoring out there that are phenomenal people, but there's a bunch of people that shouldn't be out there at all. And and you know, the ones that are available every week had the least experience. And they shouldn't even be out there. A lot of them, because I know people who really don't even qualify, and but they're just they just keep the ball rolling and then that that cycle of misinformation. Continue. You're not going to get any misinformation from the people I just mentioned. And they're out there and they're trying to help. I, one day I wish they would just, just go do your own thing. How about let's pull all the good the good ones out. That almost sounds vindictive of me. I just know that the vehicle as a whole, if the car has three wheels, you're not getting anywhere. Another metaphor. I just love metaphors. You're not getting anywhere. And even if the one of them is a donut, you're not getting anywhere quickly. And, and that's what it is. The vehicle, even though people have good experiences, the vehicle has an issue. And because the vehicle has an issue, me personally, I can't endorse it because of that. And we're going to wrap up today on with Tammy. So, Tammy, go ahead. You have the floor. Uh, okay. So you pretty much mentioned everything I mentioned. Uh, I, I said about ADP list uh, in regards to that. So it can be great. Uh, it can be rough. Uh, depends on who you get a hold of. Uh, everyone that is worth talking to, they yep. are busy. So the best people you can't really get a hold. You probably get a hold faster if you email them, to be honest. Um, <laughs> so ADP list has has some some drawbacks, I would say. I did have a, a mentor uh, with uh, or a discussion with someone on there, you know, that gave me some good advice. But I was rushed. It was a rushed interaction. You know, they had to go. They had another yep. um, person to talk to right after. So it was a very short uh, interaction. The advice was solid, I would say, but, you know, uh, you know, kind of rushed off the call, to be honest. So everyone and, and that person is probably busy. I had to dig really deep to find that one person that was available. So ADP this may not be the best avenue. It's It seems more like an experience building aspect for people who are becoming mentors, really. It seems more beneficial yep. to them than to experts in the field who want to you know, help people below them, to be honest. Uh, that's yeah. all I'll say about ADP list, really. <laughs> uh, and then two other things. I think I have yeah. a little bit of time. So <laughs> um, IDX, I'll redeem myself a little bit. It's a great resource. I have used it. I do highly recommend it, especially for people that are self-taught. Um, the curriculum is solid, very solid. I definitely recommend anyone listening to the podcast, go to IDX. My drawback for it uh, is primarily that uh, there's, a, there's a lot of content they use 
multiple different aspects for a reason, good reason, uh, for some reason or another, it didn't feel as practical unless you're doing the boot camp or you get the plan with a mentor that can review your work and you can talk to directly. Uh, so that was kind of my drawback for it. And then lastly, um, my question is for uh, essentially UXers that are like kind of in the field, new UXers. And it is, uh, how can new UXers uh, improve the operational, structural, and organizational deficiencies within a, a company that has low UX maturity while also lacking credibility uh, and trust that's needed to do so? So for context, in order to advocate for improvements in UX at a low UX maturity company, you have to have built credibility and trust. And in a recommendation that I got from a mentor from ADP list was, that I needed to build credibility and trust first. But how can you do so when you they know that you're new to the field? They know that you do not have that experience, so they're not really that willing to listen to you. Yeah, that's it. That is a phenomenal, phenomenal question, and we'll close on this one. Um, it happens one brick at a time. More metaphors. One brick, <laughs> one brick at a time. Every project is an opportunity to build the UX maturity level. Every project, every interaction within the project is an opportunity to build relationships. So you have projects become a doorway to build the, the overall success or failure and how you handle either uh, helps build the UX maturity. Every meeting that you go to is an opportunity to build relationships, which feeds into the UX maturity, which feeds into your personal brand, which feeds into your team's your, your UX team brand, even if it's a team of one. So all of these things, a lot of times UXers are so busy focused on the work, which is why I do what I do on this podcast. People are so busy focused on the work that they miss all these other opportunities. And these opportunities are there whether you take them or not. They just become missed opportunities. They're still realities. People walk away with a perception. People walk away. I had a meeting once with somebody and you could tell because me and for those of you who may not have heard my my talks on UX maturity level, there are there's organizational UX maturity, there's team UX maturity, there's personal UX maturity, there's stakeholder UX maturity, there's client UX maturity, and everything has to be managed. And so I'm looking at all of these things, the way I communicate with them, um, and, and I love assigning UX maturity levels to stakeholders because that lets me know how do I need to interact with this person. How do I need to, what types of, how should my deliverables be presented so that they mean the most to this person so they can understand what I'm bringing to the table? Because for the average stakeholder, they see us as UI people. And when you start talking about real UX, they, that falls on dead ears. I've, I talked about doing a, uh, some usability studying once, uh, usability testing for, for, a, uh, for a project once. And somebody said, well, you're just going to take that and you're just going to throw it at them out there, just throw them in there and have them do stuff. I said, no, who said that? I just assumed that's what you were going to do. Who said that? You know, and you're trying to manage these types of weird dynamics, which are counterproductive to the initiative. They're counterproductive for our relationship. They're counterproductive for the UX maturity. There's a lot of things. So every little thing, every little discussion, pockets within a discussion, they're all opportunities for wins. And so we want to achieve as many wins as possible. We're not going to win everything, but we're going to achieve just, just to, to think that we are, that would be misguided. We're going to lose some time. We're going to see opportunities that have done better. 
But if we at least identify them and and slow things down in our mind enough when we're in something to to drive successes, to see the opportunity in the moment, and boom, there's an opportunity to go. Ah, and then when you have people who are on your on your uh, who are supporting you, who can say or do things to help vault you forward, that's going to help even more. So that's basically how we manage it. When you're new, you don't have everything you need to achieve it, but that doesn't mean you can't achieve wins. So you start again, one brick at a time. I'm on this project. There's a win. I have a conversation with a stakeholder. I want to win. I want to drive wins. I want to let them know when you let them know that, you know, I'm not just here to drive, um, try to make things look good and try to make things work well. I want to help us to achieve things for the business. When you communicate that and they know that that's sincere, that gets back to the ethics and the integrity and the EQ. Um, when you, when you drive in those areas, you get there no matter how little experience you have. And I don't want anybody to think that because, oh, Darren, I don't know anything. I haven't done anything. Well, you're about to do something and you're about to know something. So let's go ahead and start building. You know more than you think you know, and you can achieve more than you think you can achieve. And once you, this is not believing in yourself. We're not trying to Pollyanna. This thing is actually true. You do know more than you think. You can do more than you think. And it's looking you square in the face. Let's go get it. And you remember that. Let's go get it. To all new UXers, let's go get it. And, And stop talking about what you don't know and realize what you do because you wouldn't have the job if you didn't bring anything to the table. They wouldn't have hired you. Well, Darren, I don't have a job yet. And you're going to. It's, uh, I know, Kelly, you probably heard me say this a bunch of times already. It's not about the 50 jobs you didn't get. It's about the job you do. So keep pressing toward the one you do. I love Aditya's approach because he's trying to qualify himself and find the right thing and not just any job. Because so many people are trying to find any job. They don't realize that what they have is fleeting. It's going to be gone in 90 days because you didn't go into the right place. So these are all things that folks need to put on their shelf that you need to put store in the, in the storage container of your heart, so to speak. And again, let's go get it. Folks, That that's all the time we have. We're going to have to wrap up here. But thank you, Aditya. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you, Elena. Thank you, Kelly. Folks are going to love this and we've got four more segments just like it on the horizon thank you folks for helping me to celebrate my anniversary on the podcast i love giving back i love being able to help people and this is part of what i do to accomplish that so everyone i'm gonna we got to wrap up quickly today but thanks to everybody again for being here and until next time folks as we say always happy uxing everybody Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.